you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter 13, Exodus 13, and after you find your place there, uh, if you also turn to 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to start out there in 1 Corinthians 10, and then we'll spend our time in Exodus 13 this morning, uh, so I'm going to read from Exodus 13, but you'll want to mark uh, 1 Corinthians 10 as well. Uh, as you turn there, uh, just a reminder of where we are in God's Word this morning, we have seen uh, God, as he is leading his people now out of Egypt, uh, he, they've been there for some 430 years, and now he is leading them on a journey to the promised land. He has delivered them from their slavery and from their desperation, and now they're on this journey. Uh, but as we will see today in our text, uh, this journey comes with some difficulties. The first of which we will see is they are not far out of Egypt, and now they're going to be pursued by Pharaoh and his army. And so today, uh, we're going to read up to the point where they get to the Red Sea, and then we will pick up there our next Lord's Day in the book of Exodus. But for now, uh, we're going to look at Exodus 13, verse 17 through 14, 14. So if you are able to, out of reverence for God's word, if you would stand as I read God's word for us this morning. And this is what God's word says to us. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let the people change, excuse me, for God said, least the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hatheroth, between Migdal in the sea, in front of Beel-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them in camp by the sea, by Pi-Hatheroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, 
The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you while we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. If you would pray with me. Father, as we come now to your word, we are reminded of your hand, of your sovereignty, of how you were at work, and we're reminded of even as you're working, we are tempted to fear. We are tempted to look around at our circumstances and our situations and and to fear. Father, would you help us to learn today from your word what it means in the midst of fear to walk by faith. Would you help us, Lord, to see the gospel today in your word? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you are familiar with 2 Corinthians 5-7, where we are told from God's word that we, we walk by faith, not by sight. We have talked often about what it looks like to walk by faith and how in God's word he equips us through the gospel. He empowers us through the Holy Spirit to walk by faith. And he has set before us this clear contrast in his word of those who walked by faith and those who did not. Even those who did walk by faith but struggled in the process. And we've seen very clearly in the book of Exodus examples of what it looks like to walk by faith. We saw it early on in our study as we looked at Jochebed, the mother of Moses, who by faith placed her baby, that this little child who Pharaoh had said, you must sacrifice, you must offer up to the river. She, by faith, puts that child in a basket, trusting that God will preserve and protect him. We saw how by faith Moses obeyed God, although he struggled initially with God's call. But we saw how he grew in his walk of faith until he gets to the point where he could go before Pharaoh and command Pharaoh in the name of the Lord to let the people go that they might serve the Lord. And we've seen in recent studies how God's people, the Hebrews, are learning to walk by faith. God brought these plagues upon Egypt to bring judgment on Pharaoh, to bring judgment on the Egyptians. He also brought these plagues upon Egypt to show his power. And now God's people, by faith, are walking out of Egypt. They have left everything they've ever known. That they're home for 430 years. And they are leaving that behind. And by faith, they are going to walk out and go on this journey towards the promised land. But that journey will come with struggles. And we've seen those struggles as well. We've seen how Moses struggled to walk by faith, who felt even like he wasn't the right person for the job. We've seen how God's people 
will, or we will see how God's people wrestle with faith, especially as they go now on this exodus. And we see this initial structure, uh, struggle as we come to this text this morning. But I want to make sure you understand as we look to this text, uh, a very key important principle it serves for us. And that's where I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 10. So if you're not there, I'll go ahead and read for us part of this. This is a text we'll be coming back to in coming weeks. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so very clearly here, we're seeing this teaching in the New Testament. Brothers, speaking to those who are believers, I want you to understand something about what happened that we are reading about now in Exodus 13 and 14. So Paul calls our attention back to the Exodus, and he says, among other things that we're to learn, verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so Paul holds up for us the Exodus. In part, that's helping us to, again, see that the validity of the Exodus and of the Old Testament, we'll talk about this as we come closer to going through the Red Sea, that, that in order to understand what the New Testament teaches, you need to understand what the Old Testament teaches. And in the New Testament, we're learning that these things took place, among many other reasons, that they might stand as an example for us today. And so I want us to look to this example today in hopes that we might learn more about it, what, it means, what it means to walk by faith, uh, about the challenges we face to walking by faith, and, and ultimately how the gospel allows us to step out in faith and walk by faith. And so we'll start there with looking at Exodus 13, verses 17 through 22, where we, we learn something about growing in faith. We, we grow in faith by focusing on God's providence. We grow in faith by focusing on God's providence. What we sang about God's providence this morning, that, that, that term providence means this, God's activity throughout history in providing for the needs of human beings, especially those who follow him by faith. And so we see God's providence occurs because God cares about his creation. God cares about the universe and about everything in it. And so we see the providential hand of God and that we see how he is sovereignly working all things according to his plan, according to his providence. Now at times, as we sang this morning, that that providence may seem to frown upon us. But what we learn when we look to God's word is certainly is that there is a smiling face behind that frown. That God does have a plan for all things and that his plan shows his care for creation. And so that term providence to remind us of the care and the sovereignty of God. Probably to our culture, at least in our nation, the term providence they associate with a place. <laughs> Providence, Rhode Island. But, but you may know how that place got its name. That those early settlers, as they settled there, were looking for a place. They were praying God for a place that he would provide for them. That they were fleeing religious persecution. And as they came to there, they named that town Providence because it reminded them of God's providence, God's mercy in their lives. And friends, the more we study God's 
providence, the more that then should grow us in our faith. And so God has given us this word this morning as an example for us, as a reminder for us, as an encouragement for us to grow in our walk of faith as we learn more about his providence. So let's look and see what we learn about his providence in this text. We begin there in verse 17 where we see God is leading his people on this journey. But we notice very quickly that he's leading them on a long journey. He doesn't take them on the most direct route to get where it is they are going. If you were to look at a map this morning, you would see how you have Egypt... And then you have the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And so the most direct route from Egypt to Canaan would have gone northeast along the coast. That would have been the most direct route. In fact, some estimate that in this day, in ancient times, it would have taken the people of Israel about two, maybe three weeks to walk from Egypt where they were to Canaan going that route. That, that was the nearest, that was the most direct route. But if you know much about the story, you know it's going to take them a lot longer than two weeks. And what we see here is one of the reasons for that, although not all of the reasons, but one of the reasons is because God takes them in a very indirect way. And so, if you're not familiar with where Egypt and the land of Canaan would be, picture it this way. Let's say uh, that you were going to go from Colorado to Kansas. Has anybody here ever driven through Kansas or Colorado? Okay, especially if you're driving this way, you're going through Kansas, and you're reading the, the map, and you're looking at the signs, and they're telling you how long it's going to be to Colorado. That The first time I went that way, I kept thinking, it's, it's this many more miles until I see mountains, until I see other, something other than just flat land. And if you've driven that route, you know that when you get to Colorado, Colorado looks just like what? Looks like Kansas. And you have to drive a lot further till you see mountains. But let's picture you did that. You, you went to Colorado. You saw the mountains. Now it's time to come home. And, and you're looking at the route to go home. And you decide, you know what? I'm going to take a little detour to go from Colorado to Kansas. I'm going to go down to Mexico. <laughs> now, if you were riding with somebody and they said, we're going to take a little detour. We're going to Mexico. You probably think, that, that's more than a little detour. <laughs> that, that's a whole other trip. But that's kind of what God's doing here with his people. When you look at the Exodus and look at where they went, to go from Egypt to go to Canaan, they went all the way down to Mexico. That They went way out of the way. And yet, God had a purpose for this. Because as we see here in the text, this was the land of the Philistines. And so immediately what might come to mind for us is that, okay, God's protecting his people from the Philistines. But notice what he says. He's not protecting them from the Philistines. He's protecting them from themselves. Because God knows his people. And he knows when they see the Philistines. When they see them in the land. They're going to be scared. And they're going to turn around. And they're going to go right back into Egypt. And so God takes them on this completely different route. And in doing this we're reminded of something that we see throughout Scripture. God's not in a hurry. <laughs> now that's hard for us because most of us in this room, at some point, well, we're in a hurry. Well, we're in a rush. We, we want things done now. We, we don't want to wait on anything. In fact, I was reminded of this not long ago. I walked in the kitchen. One of the kids was standing there in front of the microwave. They had put 
popcorn in the microwave, and they're standing there, and they're just watching those numbers tick down, and they said, Dad, this is taking forever. I reminded them of how a time long ago we, we had these devices that we'd put the popcorn kernels into and it would heat them up and it took more than three minutes and 15 seconds to get your popcorn. But, but as I watched that, I thought that that is such a picture of how we are, especially in relationship to the Lord. We, we want things to happen now. We don't want to wait we, we want to get on with it. We, we don't understand why sometimes it seems like the Lord in taking us from Colorado to Kansas takes us on this detour through Mexico. And yet God has a purpose for these things. And God's not in a hurry. Remember, his people have just spent 430 years in Egypt. And he is not in a hurry now. He delivers them quickly, but he has a purpose for them on this journey. And initially we see in this purpose, in his providence, he is protecting them, not just from their enemies, he's protecting them from themselves. You know, God does that same thing for us today. Sometimes the reason, perhaps, that things don't happen so quickly for us is because God's protecting us from ourselves God knows our hearts better than we know our hearts and if we were to get that very thing that we've asked the Lord for and we'd asked him to just give us give us give us and then he gave it to us God knows what we might then do and so at times even with those things we see how God withholds something from us not because he's withholding good but because he cares and in his providence, he is watching out for us and protecting us even from ourselves. And as we study God's word and we see his providence at work, that grows us in our faith because it reminds us that God certainly does have a plan for us and that we can trust in his plan. But that trust requires faith and that requires us to have faith perhaps in things we have not seen, or perhaps in things we will not see, but we trust one day will come to fruition. And we have an example of that here in Exodus 13, as we're reminded of something about Joseph. And if you were with us quite a while back, as we studied through the book of Genesis, you remember there at the end of the book of Genesis, when, when Joseph dies in Egypt, he dies in faith. And he's trusting that God is going to do what God said he was going to do. He's trusting that one day God is going to deliver the people from Egypt and he's going to take them to the land of promise. And so as he is dying, he makes the sons of Israel promise to carry his bones from Egypt to the promised land. He dies in faith, trusting that God will keep his promises. And we're reminded of that here. As Moses tells us that they took the bones of Joseph with them and reminds us about that promise that was made and gives us again an example of one who trusted in the providence of God. We see God here leading his people on a long journey. But notice here, he is with his people every step of the way. Scripture tells us that he guided them every moment by a pillar of cloud in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night. 
the traditional understanding of this is this wasn't two separate pillars, <laughs> but this was one. In the daytime, you, you could see that the, the, the cloud, that the smoke surrounding this engulfing flame and fire. At nighttime, it was that fire within the cloud that burned brightly. This was the presence of the Lord leading his people. And what is significant about it is what we read there in verse 22. That this pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. That God's presence was always there leading his people. And so you can imagine the context of what this was. Now imagine that, that you are a Hebrew family. And that you have just left everything behind in Egypt. You spent your entire life there. Your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. Everywhere you go up your family tree leads to graves in Egypt. Your whole family's there. And now all these miraculous things have taken place. And there's been all these plagues in the land. And a land that while you were a slave there and a servant there, you, you saw as a fruitful land, suddenly isn't so fruitful anymore. And then as these plagues are coming, you, you see that God is calling you and your family to, to leave this place. But before you leave, there's going to be this, this plague of death that sweeps throughout the land. And so you're hearing this mention and this murmuring among the people of, of God coming through in a given night and taking the life of the firstborn. And the only way for you to survive that, for your child to live through that, is to, to trust in this promise of God that if you take an animal, a lamb, and slaughter it and put its blood on the lintel on the doorpost, that, that the Lord's going to pass over your home. And we've talked about that. You, you can imagine the enormous amount of faith that took for the people of God. And yet, when they did it, God did what he said he was going to do. And not only that, the scripture tells us then that the Hebrews plundered the Egyptians. And now you've gotten all this silver and gold and, and you've left so much behind. But God's provided for your journey. And now you're on this journey. You're, you're on this road. You're heading to this land of promise. But you're still probably going to struggle at times. You're probably at times going to think, now, Lord, what are you doing here? And like our kids often ask on a trip, maybe you would say, how much farther? How much farther? How much farther? And every time you ask that question, whether by day or by night, all you had to do was look up. And there in front of you was the very presence of God. And so as you're talking to your family, and maybe your kids will come to you during the day and say, Dad, Mom, how much longer? What are we going to do? Well, what's this all about? You could just say, hey, look up. There's the Lord. There's the presence of the Lord. There he is leading us. And this night, as you're putting them down to bed, and they're saying, Dad, Mom, how much longer? Look, just look, look. God's not left us. God's not abandoned us. God is right here leading us. Maybe, maybe today you think, well, that would be nice to have. <laughs> It'd be nice on this journey of life. It'd be nice when I struggle. It'd be nice when, when things seem to be falling apart. It'd be nice to be able to just look up and, and see, to see this, this physical representation, this manifestation of the Lord. It'd be nice just to look and be reminded of God's presence. 
it'd be nice to just be able to, to look to something and be reminded of God's promises. It'd be nice to just to look and be encouraged that God has a plan and that his plan will not fail. Friends, we have something better than a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. We have the very word of God. On the Exodus, in Exodus 14, the people couldn't read Exodus 15. <laughs> they couldn't lay their kids down at night and say, well, let's, let's go ahead and skip a few chapters ahead and see how the story ends. But friends, you, you realize we can do that, don't you? That when we struggle, when we worry, when we doubt, we, we can open up the Word of God and we can be reminded of His providence and of His care. And, and we may very well still struggle to understand the plan along the way. Especially when it comes to suffering that comes in our life and distress and turmoil and disease and death. And these things will rock us to our very foundation. But at that time, we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to look to? What are we going to seek out in order to comfort us and encourage us and remind us of the big picture? And friends, if you look anywhere other than the Word of God, you will be disappointed. You may be comforted for a moment by the things of this world, but that is a shifting foundation that will not last. And so God, through these things, He calls us back to His Word to be reminded of His providence, of His provision, of His sovereignty. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, God's given us these things for a purpose, not just for a history lesson, but to remind us we too need to walk by faith. And to remind us as well that there will be struggles along the way. Point two there in your outline. We've seen how we grow in faith. We also see in this text how we grow in fear. And we see that we grow in fear by focusing on our circumstances. And, and so while we are looking up at that pillar, while we're looking to the word of God and his providence, we, we grow in our faith and our trust of him. But we also find very quickly when we don't look to the Lord and his word, when we look to our circumstances, well, then we might grow in something else. And in this case, we can very likely grow in fear. We are reminded of that here from God's people. Exodus 14, we see how the Lord tells Moses to tell the people now to turn back and encamp in a situation where now they're, they're going to have the sea behind them. They're, they're going to be right there on the edge of this Red Sea. They didn't go northeast by what we see now as the Mediterranean Sea. They went southeast. And as they went there, there's this big barrier in this way, the Red Sea. And the Lord says, I, I want you to set up camp right there. But notice what else he tells them. He tells them, oh, also, uh, Pharaoh's not done. And I'm not done with Pharaoh. And here he reminds Moses again that he will harden the Pharaoh's heart. And we've looked at this before. We've seen how in the scripture that, that there are times when Pharaoh hardens his own heart. There are times when the scripture just says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And then there's times like this when you read, no, no, God is the one hardening his heart. See, God has a purpose even for the wicked of this world. 
And what we see here in the providence of God is he won't just use the faithful and the righteous to bring him glory. He, he will use the wicked to bring him glory as well. And so while Pharaoh may be thinking, oh, I'm not done with the people of Israel yet, what we see God saying is that he's not done with Pharaoh yet. And so he says that Pharaoh is going to pursue the people, and that's exactly what we see happening here, beginning there in verse 5 we see the king of egypt the pharaoh he goes to the people they change their minds what's this we've done we, we've let israel go from serving us i mean you can imagine this for pharaoh his once fruitful and luxurious land has now been reduced to ruins and not only that but his entire workforce has just left the building and if he's going to think for a moment of how he's going to restore any of this, he's going to need some work to do that, some workers, those slaves. And now as he's considering this, he sees that they're gone, so we've got to go get them. And so the Scripture says he gets together these chariots, and we, we don't even know how many, is, as it says in them there, they took 600 chosen chariots, but there's all these other chariots. And so we see this entire army now going towards the people of Israel. Now I want you to notice here how quickly things change for the people. In chapter 14, verse 4, Moses, God tells Moses all these things. Moses tells the people where they need to go. And notice at the end of verse 4 there, and they did so. They obeyed God. The Scripture doesn't tell us that they question God. The Scripture doesn't tell us that they ask God a bunch of questions. Well, why, Lord, do you want us by the sea? And why, and why, and why? We're not sure we're going to do that. At this point, all the Scripture says is, and they did so. They obeyed the Lord. You skip down a few verses and notice how quickly things change as they look up and they see this army coming towards them. Verse 10 tells us that the army is drawing near. And when Israel lifted up their eyes, behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And then they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What has changed between verse 4 and verse 10? Has God's presence left? Is that pillar of cloud of smoke, that pillar of fire, has it just vanished? And now the people are left to themselves? No, the scripture tells us what? At the end of chapter 13, and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. What has changed between the time when they're focusing on the presence of God and they're obeying the word of God just a few verses earlier? What's changed between then and now when they're going to Moses saying, well, what did you drag us out here to die for? It's a lot better when we were back there. We, we told you not to take us out, Moses. Well, what has changed? God has not removed his presence. God has not changed his commands. But what has changed is their circumstance. 
And what has changed is now, rather than focusing on the presence of God, they're focusing on their circumstances. And I want you to see how quickly their countenance changes when they just focus on their circumstances. And what we see here is what we also see in our lives so often. That then when we focus on our circumstances, when we focus on our situation, friends, it is like living on a roller coaster. Up and down and up and down and up and down. It, it is like watching a football game with some of you. That game starts out, national champs, best team ever. You get to the third quarter, <laughs> worst, I can't believe they call themselves a football team. It was the worst game I've ever seen, worst team I've ever seen. A few plays later, something, oh, yeah, they're the best team ever. A few plays, oh, they're terrible again. Up and down and up and down and up and down. And friends, it's not just football games that we're like that with. It's life. You have a good day? This is great. You get a raise, a Christmas bonus? God loves me. You're on your way to work the next day, you get a speeding ticket. God just hates me now. I can't believe this. Something good happens. Oh, God's so great. Something bad happens. Lord, do you even remember my name? And then things far less trivial take place. And real suffering comes into our life. And we too begin to shake our fist at God and say, God, I wish you had just left me alone. Because if this is what the walk of faith leads you to, it was a lot better before I knew anything about this. We too, like the people of Israel, are so fickle. And we too are so quick to change in our countenance because we too are so easily swayed by our circumstances. And if you find yourself there this morning in that place where, where you are swayed so quickly by your circumstances, where your, your mood, your, your countenance changes so quickly, where, where your perception of God is based on your circumstances, if that's where you find yourself this morning, then you will find yourself wrestling often with fear. And that fear will overwhelm you. It will play itself out in anxiety and worry, and it will gnaw at you, and it will eat at you, and it will probably eat at those around you. God reminds us through His Word this morning that Exodus chapter 13 and 14 were given to us as an example and as a reminder. And so maybe this morning, God has given that to Bloomfield Baptist Church to remind us here that there is a better way than living day to day based on our circumstances. And that there is a better way, and that way is to stand fir firm in our faith. Point three there in your outline. We counteract fear by standing firm in our faith. Moses is going to respond to the cries of God's people. I can only imagine in the flesh how Moses maybe wanted to respond to God's people. But God responds in grace to them. And notice what he says here. 
verse 13, Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. So here's what you need to do. Okay? Moses gives them this, this talk, this command, and then it's, it's action now. Here's what you need to do. Go get your swords, go get your spears, go get your horses, and line up. And they're going to come this way, and we're going to come around them, and we're going to have trenches, and we're going we're gonna to have all these, these traps for them, and here's how we're going to defeat them. No. You have only to be silent. Again, consider what a difficult thing that is he's asking the people to do. I don't know about you, but my first response to crisis and suffering it usually isn't to be still and quiet. In fact, oftentimes our first response is just to do something, you know. Even if that something is to bake a cake or something, you know i got to do something. i got to do something here. I can't, I can't just sit and be still. I've got to do something. And no matter what the, the odds may seem to be, I, I've got to get ready for battle here. And we start invoking this idea of, you know, David and Goliath, I'm going to take on the giants. Lord's on my side. But notice in this example God gives us, He doesn't tell the people of Israel to go down to the creek and pick up some rocks. He says, be still. And so that mother, that father, is standing there with their family that they've pulled from their home. And now they're standing with them, and behind them is a sea. And incidentally, maybe they can't swim. And in front of them is an army. And Moses says, here's what we're going to do. Just stand still. Just, just be quiet. There's the hardest thing in the world to do in the midst of suffering and crisis is to be still and to be quiet. But if you know the rest of the story, and we're going to get there in the coming weeks, why does God want his people to be still? Hear this, because God doesn't need his people to ensure victory over Pharaoh. God doesn't need them. He literally says just be still and be quiet. Why? Moses tells them because you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. You're about to see God work. You're about to see God save. And guess what? In order for God to work and God to save, He doesn't need you. And friends, that's still true today. How did you become a Christian? How did I become a Christian? Was it because God looked down one day and said, That bow tie is kind of nice. 
man, I sh- I'm looking around Bloomfield, and I'm thinking that, that Carwall family, they've, they've kind of got it together. I mean, they say Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. And they're, they're nice people. and Man, that, that's, that's somebody worth saving. Is that how it works? Am I going to stand before God one day and God says, all right, uh, Richard, you show your cards and I'll show my cards and maybe between our cards we've got a good hand. Maybe if we work hard together we can win this thing. Is that how it works? I think what we're reminded of when we read the Scripture is no, that's not how it works. As the Scripture tells us, there's none righteous, not even one. No one who does good. None, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scripture that reminds us that in our, in our flesh, we are standing there with, with a sea of sin and condemnation behind us and with an army of sin and condemnation in front of us. And we can't fight our way through that. No matter how good we try to be, Now, no matter how many times we try to do the right thing, we're reminded in the Scripture, friends, that we are indeed sinners. And that on our best day, we fall short of the glory of God. And you may be able to find someone else that you measure up to. You may be able to find others around you that you can say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But again, here's a reminder. You're that person for someone else. Somebody else can look at you and say, well, I'm not as bad as that pastor at Bloomfield, that deacon or that person or whoever it is. You measure yourself up against the standard of the righteousness and the glory of God. And you're reminded of what the Scripture already says of you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent us a deliverer. Just like the people of Israel there in Egypt could not deliver themselves, God sends a deliverer to rescue them. We cannot rescue ourselves from our sin. God sent us a deliverer in Christ Jesus. And you know what he tells us to do? He doesn't tell us work real hard, try real hard, do a lot of stuff, earn my favor. Tells us to be still and be quiet. To, to repent. In fact, the scripture doesn't call us to do something. It tells us to stop doing some things. And to turn our focus off of ourselves and our sin and our circumstance and to set our gaze on the cross of Jesus. And to be reminded That on our worst day, our absolute worst day, Christ went through worse than that. And that he went to that cross and he took on the wrath of a holy, righteous God for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might then receive the righteousness of God. It, It is a beautiful exchange. We bring nothing to the table and we walk away with everything. And so as we see this picture here, 
are God's people standing on the edge of a sea, between a sea and an army, and God tells them that He is going to fight for them, and they don't need to do anything. Friends, we're reminded of the beauty of the gospel. The Lord has fought the fight. Christ has died on the cross once and for all. And the victory is won. But the question is the same. Will we walk by faith and trust in what God has already done? Or will we walk by fear day in and day out, up and down in this life, because we just keep looking at our circumstances? If you've never come to this knowledge and understanding of the gospel, the scripture says very clearly how you can do that today. It says if you'll confess that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be rescued. You don't need to fear the sea or the army. God will rescue you just like he rescued the people of Israel here. But he calls us to stop. He calls us to be silent. And in that silence, he calls us to repent and to trust in him. And that may be the need for you to move from unbelief to belief today, to move from works to faith today. That also may be, be the call for you today who are a believer, who are a follower of Christ. That what God is clearly showing you through his word today is your need to stop and your need to be still and your need to stop looking at your circumstances and bemoaning them and your need to trust in a sovereign God and in his providence. That's the invitation today. If you would stand as I pray for us. God, as we sang earlier, we are reminded from your word that you move in a mysterious way and that we can trust in your providence. And so, Father, I pray you would help us to do that today, that you would help us to be a people who walk by faith, who, who look to your word. And when our circumstances around us might tempt us to be on a roller coaster and an up and down experience and it might tempt us then to just live by fear and anxiety and worry I, I pray God that we would be a people who would look to your word and be reminded that, that from the moment of creation until the end of all things Lord that you have a plan and that your plans never fail and I pray God that we would be a people like Joseph, who with our dying breath would trust in your providence and who would trust that your promises will indeed come true. So, Father, I pray for us today. I pray for any here who's yet to put their faith and hope in Christ that they would. I pray for those who have but perhaps are wrestling and struggling this morning that they would be encouraged just to, to stand still and to trust your word. We ask you to do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.